I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. 
John 17 and chapter, verse 20, chapter 17, verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. They also may be, may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I've declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Love and unity. Would you say that after me, please? Love, love. and unity. You may be seated. All the words that I have read to you this morning were spoken by Jesus during a very significant period in his life. John 13 and 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Some people were they informed that they had only a few days to live would fall apart. They would disintegrate mentally and emotionally. They would retreat to a corner of despair and paralysis. But others who would find that they had only a short time to live, would focus on dealing with important matters of business, important priorities. They would try to spend as many days of quality time in prayer and in the presence of people whom they loved if they realized that they had only a few days to live. Jesus realized that he had just a few days before his crucifixion. And he, during those days, did not spend time complaining about what was going to happen to him. He focused on preparing his disciples for what they were about to face. He spent time advising them regarding the nature of the work that they were to do and seeking the Father's help on their behalf. It's amazing how many of his words, as he dealt with them, had to do with the priority of love. 
and of unity. Jesus, the Son of God, and God the Father are an amazing example of love and unity. The Bible indicates that they're one in nature, one in essence, equal in power and in glory. But it also indicates that they were and are one in love. John 3.35, Jesus said, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And so Jesus, the Son, had an inseparable partnership with God, the Father, in love and in unity. When Jesus came to the earth, he worked not only in partnership with his Father in heaven, he also worked in partnership with selected men and women on the earth. He would not even start his ministry without gathering a group of disciples and supporters around him. So even the Son of God did not work without the assistance of others. His was not an independent, solitary mission. He pursued his mission in partnership with God and in partnership with men. And so as he approached the, earth, the end of his earthly ministry, he informed his disciples, and thus he informed all believers that their success and their effectiveness would be dependent on their coming into love and unity with one another. We had to do with one another, even as Jesus had done with God the Father. He had done with them, and he was going to do with them in the future. So he informed them that love would be the distinctive characteristic by which they would be known. Tell your neighbor, the Bible lets us know that love is the distinctive characteristic by which we are to be known. John 13 and 35 says, By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Listen, a family should not only be known for their similar physical characteristics, they should also be known by the special love that they have for one another by their cohesiveness as a family unit. You can't do anything about who your brother is or who your sister is. They are who they are, and it is what it is. You can't change families because your family, whether you like it or not, is your family. And we as individuals need to re-examine and re-evaluate our role as believers. We are the family of God. And we are obligated to love and to cooperate with one another. We're obligated to be stable, obligated to be mature. And Jesus commands that we, the family of God, the spiritual family, are to love one another as he has loved us. He loved us when we were rude and when we were inconsiderate and rejecting of him. He loved us when we refused his attempt 
to be our friend. He loved us when we behaved in ways that were displeasing to him. He loved us when we were way beneath his level, way below his class. He loved us when we had nothing to offer him that he needed. He loved us, even though our sins caused the Father to give him a, as a sacrifice in our place. He loved us enough to leave his throne, his comfort, the joy in heaven, walk on this barren earth, this veil of tears toward the cross. He loved us more than he loved himself because he gave himself for us. That's something when somebody loves you more than they love themselves. So he says to us, listen, I know you're not going to be able to do this perfectly, but I want you to try. Love one another like I have loved you. It grieves a mother. It grieves a father. See the issue of their bodies, their children, who are the same blood, who are brothers and sisters. It grieves the parent to see brothers and sisters fighting and scheming against one another. It always grieves, also grieves the Lord Jesus to see those who claim to love him fighting and scheming against one another. And Paul, reflecting the will of God, complains about this. He says in 1 Corinthians 3 and 3, you are still carnal. For where there is envy and strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? Listen, it's a joy, it's a pleasure to love and to be loved. It's a high-value pursuit in and of itself, apart from any other advantage or any benefit which might be gained. There's a benefit in being around people whom you love and people who genuinely love you, but there's another advantage even and above that. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 12, the Bible says, for as the body is one, has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit are you all baptized into one body. For the Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many members. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 27, the Bible says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. The human body reflects what the body of Christ is, what the body of Christ is like. And the various members of our body, our hands, our feet, our arms, our legs, all work in a synergistic whole. They work together. And there's a mutual concern of every part of the body for the body as a whole. And every member of the body makes its contribution toward the effective working of the body. And if something happens to one member of the body, everybody gets involved. Slam little bell brownie. I don't quite qualify for pinky. Slam little brownie in the car door. 
gets involved. Here comes old lefty. The feet get involved. Even the mouth wants to play. Everybody gets involved in little Pinky's plight. Because little Pinky shouts out the alarm. I've been slammed in the car door. Everybody, come on. Eyes, cry, mouth, scream. Everybody, because little Pinky is in trouble. And if it's that way with the human body, so it ought be within the body of Christ. One member of the body gets in trouble, everybody ought to be concerned. And the body survives and is able to function because it is a unified, caring whole. It is complete, and every member, every small member, even one tooth can keep you awake all night long. Does anybody know that one tooth can keep you awake? All night long. There can be no real significant ministry or productivity without love and unity in the body and without love and unity in the life of the church. John 15 and 16, are you all still with me? You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And these things have I commanded you, that you should love one another. You might have thought you made a choice. You might have thought that you were the one that on your own initiative came to God, found God, became a part of God's church. But in reality, if the Lord had not drawn you, you would not have even been able to come. The Lord picked you out. Come on, tell your neighbor, the Lord picked me out. Oh my, nothing you can do about it. He just, he just picked me out. You might not like me, but you don't have to choose me. He chose me. Clap your hands and give praise to the Lord. Love and unity powerfully perform and inform the world that Jesus is the Son of God and the Lord of all creation. The world will not know what it needs to know without unity. When he sees the church working in unity, serving God in unity, that's a testimony to him of the glory and the might of God and the effectiveness of his work within the church. And so Jesus said in John 17 and 22, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they might be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. The world will not know it, the world will not be convinced of it unless there is love and unity in the life of the church. Ephesians 4 and 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every member of the body does its share, causing growth of the body and the edifying of itself 
in love. And so as the church works out before the public its mission and its unity and its love, it causes the body to grow and to develop. Many of the great accomplishments that we see, many of the great accomplishments that we admire are a result of unity. Years ago, unity placed a man on the moon. Once the president issued the challenge, thousands of people worked together, joined together to accomplish the task. And after a while, it was done because of unity and togetherness. Unity can move mountains. Unity can fill up valleys. Unity can explore the depth of the sea. Unity can bring up treasures from the bottom of the sea. There are many things that can only be done by unity. And I want you to know there are also many things that you cannot do by yourself. One is too small a number for success. But you tell your neighbor one is too small a number for success. There are no problems that we can solve, that we cannot solve together. And there are few problems that we can solve all by ourselves. There is a benefit in mutuality of effort and in love and in unity. For the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4 and 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If they fall, one can lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. Again, if two of you lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can they be warm alone? Verse 12, the one be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Standing by yourself, you're quickly broken. But if you are intertwined with the life of one or two other individuals, you are three times as strong as you were before. John Maxwell says that teamwork divides the risk, multiplies the effect. And he says that teamwork will make the dream work. Tell your neighbor, teamwork, teamwork. will make the dream work. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. And that means that God has created us so that we dread extended aloneness. Now sometimes we need to be by ourselves for a time to recoup and to meditate and to think. But most of the time, in general, we want to be around somebody. Somebody who loves us. Somebody who agrees with us. Somebody who will support us. Who will stand with us. There are a host of animal species that derive their well-being from the fact that they join together with others of their kind to reach a level of effectiveness and well-being that they could not reach alone. Small insects like ants can bring down mighty animals 
when they join together and work together. Just small insects. And in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, God gave to Noah and his sons a specific assignment. And the Bible says, so God blessed Noah and his sons. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And in Genesis 11 and 4, we read the response that Noah's descendants had to God's assignment. God said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the whole earth. In Genesis 11 and 4, they said, come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heaven. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's be scattered abroad throughout the whole earth. That was God's purpose. That was God's will, that they should replenish the whole earth. But they said, let's build a tower, and all of us are going to stay right here together. We ain't going nowhere. I don't care what God said. But in Genesis 11 and 6, the Lord informs us of the power of unity. Because when they got together in one place, the Lord said, Genesis 11 and 6, indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this they began to do. Listen, now, nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. In other words, when people get together saying the same thing, having the same objective, joining hands in love and unity, God said there's nothing that they cannot do. Are you hearing that? Nothing that they cannot accomplish when they come together in unity. So in verse 9, the Lord said, verse 8, I beg your pardon, well, verse, verse 7, come, let us go down. And they confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them all over the face of the earth. And so God wanted them to replenish the earth, to cover the earth, to replenish the earth. They stayed in one place, but God confounded their goal so that it would conform to his goal by confusing their language. So they couldn't understand what the other was saying. They could not understand how to communicate. And without communication and without understanding, there was no ability of them to hold together in a cohesive unit. Are you hearing me today? When Jesus came to earth, however, he set in motion a series of events that made possible the restoration of everything that was lost at the Tower of Babel. Everything that was lost at Babel, Jesus restored on Calvary's tree. And even more, I say even more because humanity's loss at Babel was merely an extension and a result of our loss through Adam in the Garden of Eden because Adam lost for all of us our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, accomplished some wonderful things for us on the cross. On the cross, Jesus reversed the curse. On the cross, 
he extended grace. On the cross, he extended forgiveness. Paul said in Galatians 3:13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Because the Bible says, curse is everyone who hangs upon a tree. And Isaiah would chime in and say that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep that go astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Jesus not only died on a cross for us, but Jesus arose from the dead. Come on, clap your hands. I love to say he grabbed death by the collar and shook death until death turned him loose. He stepped forth from the grave, said, I'm the first and the last. I'm he who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys to hell and the keys to death. And if Jesus could rise from the dead, there is nothing that he cannot do. Will you tell two people if Jesus could rise from the dead? There's nothing that he cannot do. Clap your hands and give praise to God. Nothing he cannot do. Nothing that he cannot do. As we approach the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King in the next week or so, I want to just make a couple of observations and guide us into the future by a couple of remarks. All is not well with black America. All is not well with black people in Africa and around the world. Only 18% of African Americans graduate from college compared to 30% of whites. Only 25% of blacks live in, at or below the poverty level, where only 10% of whites live at that poverty level. Black families are less likely to contain a married couple than all other groups. Only 46% of black individuals live in a married couple family environment. 81% of whites, 46% of blacks. White males are likely to live more than five years longer than black males. And a black man is seven times as likely to go to jail as a white man. 20%, 25% more likely to die of cancer. Twice as likely to die of diabetes. Black people are still the poorest and the sickest and the first to die in our society. Black-owned black homicide or murder is the leading cause of death among one age group of young black men. Black men who represent only 14% of the population represent 40% of the prison population. Blacks account for half of all AIDS cases and 50% of all AIDS death. Weapons of mass destruction may not have been discovered in Iran, but weapons of mass destruction exist all over the black community, and all over our nation. If we ever needed a perfect storm to bring us to action and to life, that storm has taken place. I realize, however, that we can't help our brothers and sisters if we ourselves are wounded psychologically, economically, and physically. And so, as presiding bishop of the Church of God in Christ, 
I've asked each of our 12,000 churches around the world to expand their ministries by launching what I call the Urban Initiative, offering programs in five areas. Program number one, education, mentoring, and tutoring. Number two, economic development, job development, and training. Number three, crime prevention, community safety programs, programs to keep our young people out of crime. Number four, family reinforcement programs, strengthening and enhancing the role of fathers. And finally, number five, financial literacy for young people and for adults. And we've been working on this for a couple of years now. We've built an elaborate resource and support system to motivate and sustain this effort, which we hope will constitute 60,000 community programs in the U.S and around the world. And also, in cooperation and in partnership with President Lee Sanders and the leadership of the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, known as ASME. This is the union that Martin Luther King visited in Memphis, Tennessee, when he was so cruelly and rudely assassinated. He had gone to work with ASME. And we are now convening with ASME a major conference on the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. King. This will take place on April 2nd through April 4th at Mason Temple Church of God in Christ, where Dr. King preached his last message at Mason Temple Church of God in Christ, his final address. And I'm inviting all us to join together in Memphis, April 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, as we chart a new vision for where we go from here. We've been well led by Dr. King and others so far. Now it's time for us to march into the, funity, to, into the future in love and in unity. Come on, tell your neighbor, it's time for us to march into the future in love and in unity. And so we've said that Jesus died on the cross for us. And Jesus arose from the dead. Jesus is the great conqueror. Come on, tell two people, Jesus is the great conqueror. He's the master of every force on the face of the earth. Jesus said, all power in heaven and in earth is given unto me. And I've got the keys to death, the keys to hell, and the keys to the grave. And listen, we have no greater enemy than death. But if Jesus could overcome death, if Jesus could overpower death, then no situation is hopeless. Nothing is impossible. If Jesus can conquer death, he can do anything. Tell three people, my God can do anything. Come on, my God can do anything. The sting of death has been taken away. The resurrection of Jesus makes death nothing more than a passageway into eternal life. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid of anything because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And when you know Jesus, 
in the fellowship of his suffering. That's what Paul said in Philippians 3 and 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Listen, when you know Jesus in the power of his resurrection, that gives you courage to face Jesus and live for Jesus when you might have to suffer. To know him in the power of his resurrection eliminates all inferiority complexes. To know him in the power of his resurrection is to rise above habits and behavior that characterizes the lives of those who are dead in sin. When you know Jesus in the power of his resurrection, that places everything under your feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus said, I give you power to tread on serpents and on scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. When you know Jesus, you know the power that raised him from the dead. To know him in the power of his resurrection is to have that same power at work in your life. I've got power that you can't see. God is living inside me. I can fight any enemy for God and me are a majority. Tell your neighbor, God and me are a majority. Come on, clap your hands and give praise to the Lord. Yes, my message today is that we release an explosion of potential when we join together in unity. Say, neighbor, we release an explosion of potential when we join together in unity. The Bible says one can chase a thousand and two can put 10,000 to flight. That means two can accomplish 10 times as much as one can accomplish. And Jesus said in Matthew 18 and 19, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, that they shall ask, it shall be done of them, of my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Tell somebody Jesus is in the room right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We notice in Acts, Chapter 2 and verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. Our society and even church people emphasize individuality and independence, but God is calling on us to move away from focus on individuality and independence and make a commitment to love unity and agreement to come together as one. And verse 4 of Acts chapter 2 says, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There were dwelling at Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. 
And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together, and the multitude was confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Men from everywhere were speaking the same language. They were understanding and they were being understood. What was destroyed at the Tower of Babel, Jesus restored on the day of Pentecost so that we can speak the same thing, so that we can be as one. And when people come together as one, nothing that they have imagined to do will be restrained from them. Would you say that after me when people come together as one, nothing that they have imagined to do will be restrained for them. God's purpose for us, God's will for us is love and unity. When we minister in love and minister in unity, we minister indirectly unto Jesus himself. For the Lord said, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, my little ones, you've done it unto me. We come into unity, we will receive forgiveness. For the Lord said, if you forgive your brother or your sister, then I will forgive you. But if you don't forgive him, I won't forgive you. When you come together in love and in unity, you work for your advancement and for your elevation. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them who the call according to his purpose. We are people of love and unity. And when we come together in love and unity, we enter the realm of commanded blessing. Come on, tell your neighbor, neighbor, when we stand in unity, we enter the realm of love and unity. Psalm 133 and verse 1 says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down upon the beard, the beard of Aaron running down to the edge of his garment. It's like the dew of Hermon descending on the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life evermore. That caught my eye because there's something about a commanded blessing. When you tell your neighbor there's something about a commanded blessing, a commanded blessing is a blessing that nobody can block, nobody can touch it. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, you can't touch a commanded blessing. A commanded blessing is an inevitable blessing. A commanded blessing is something jealous folk cannot take away from you. A commanded blessing is an inbreakable, inavoidable, unimpeachable blessing. When there is a commanded blessing, it's a place of unity. It's a place of love. And I can't get to the place of blessing without you. And you can't get there without me. So I need you. I need you. We're all a part of God's body. Stand with me. Agree with me. We're all a part of the body of the Lord. 
And so on the day of Pentecost, what was lost at the Tower of Babel was restored to the church. The power of God came upon them. They came together and they turned the world upside down. Even in this day, we need to come together in unity by the power of Almighty God. You shall receive power, power, power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Power to witness, power to turn the world, power to do the work of God. Tell, tell your neighbor, we need the power. Tell him again, we need the power of the Holy Ghost. Come on and praise him, praise him. Power, power to do God's will. Power to bring glory to the name of Jesus. The Holy Ghost is here right now. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, the Holy Ghost is here right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus, Jesus is the baptizer. If he saves you, he will baptize you. Salvation is the greater gift. The baptism is the lesser gift. If he gave us the greater gift, he'll give us the lesser gift. Come on, let's thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank him. For power, 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 hallelujah, hallelujah. And Galatians 3 and 14th day, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, Galatians 3:14 says we receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. When you receive something by faith, you praise God for it, just like you've already got it. Lord, I'm waiting, but I believe it, and I'm praising you for the Holy Ghost. I'm praising you for power. Come on, clap your hands. Say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. The Holy Ghost shows up. When God's people praise God, when God's people glorify God, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Everybody stand up, clap your hands, give praise to God, give praise to God. Yeah. Oh yeah, come on and praise him. Lord, I thank you for your power. Lord, I thank you for your anointing. Lord, I thank you for your presence. Thank you. Thank you. I've got power that you can't see. God is living inside me. I can fight any enemy. For God and me are a majority. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, God and me. I am a charge I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I'm going higher, higher every day. Higher, 
by the power of God. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Ghost. Thank you for your presence. Come on and praise him. Praise him. Praise him.